You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. I have a few announcements. Uh, one, just to reiterate, Jonathan had mentioned at the beginning of the service, we will be celebrating communion together. So if you don't have your bread ready and uh, your juice or wine ready, then uh, you should do that. But uh, I have two, two important announcements. One uh, is regarding our reconvening plan. Uh, so just, and I'll have more details in, in the future regarding this, but just so you're aware, uh, we will, we have plans once we enter into phase two uh, for this, you know, lifting the quarantine and, and, uh, and opening up business. Phase two is no more than or will be no more than 50 people gathered in a room at a time. Uh, that may change, but that's so far what the plan is. When we enter into phase two, which I hope, I hope will be May 16th, uh, our plans are such that we will hold three worship services. Uh, we have, I've been uh, in conversation with one of the uh, members of Meadowbrook, partners of Meadowbrook, who's also a doctor, and we have several law enforcement you know, in our church. So I've been speaking with one of our law enforcement officers about structuring and spacing seats and, and making sure that this uh, is a safe environment for, for you to be able to attend. We'll also uh, make it so that you'll be able to register for which service uh, you would like to attend. And hopefully with three services, we'll be able to accommodate uh, everyone who feels safe enough to gather in a public space. So which will be Meadowbrook Church. So that's, you know, we, we have a plan. Uh, I'll, I'll share more details with you as, as we learn more from the state. And then the other thing is uh, the gift cards. Uh, so if not all of you are aware, most of you are aware that we uh, decided, the, the Board of Elders at Meadowbrook Church, the staff and myself, we decided to bless uh, Cheyenne with $50 gift cards to Sanford's. Uh, one of the reasons behind this was instead of doing the shotgun approach and just uh, provide multiple options to multiple uh, restaurants, we felt that the money that we uh, gave to bless, bless the community in this way could not only bless our first responders, but also provide uh, the next paycheck for the employees of Sanford's who have families of their own. And that's what we're able to do. So, so we uh, were able to deliver gift cards. I, I personally delivered them uh, to every first responder, uh, the sworn in officers and the deputies, along with uh, AMR, all the, the staff of AMR, and, um, and Cheyenne uh, Fire and Rescue. All of them received gift cards this week. It was cool, because I, I, it was really neat as I received a phone call from... Uh, Cheyenne Fire and Rescue, just stating that those gift cards could not have come at a better time. Uh, that day, I believe it was on Wednesday, that day, some of the firefighters received news that they were going to be laid off. Uh, there's one firefighter who uh, has cancer. And, uh, and so those gift cards that came from you, Meadowbrook, I mean, it's, it's from our church. We have a church full of amazing, amazing people who give faithfully every week and every month uh, to Meadowbrook. 
and because of that, we were able to bless the city of Cheyenne in this way. I delivered uh, gift cards to the uh, police department and, um, and had a, a wonderful conversation with uh, the sheriff and with some other officers, and they were touched by uh, the generosity of our church. And so I just want you to know that uh, that's one of the ways that your faithful giving is used, and we hope will continue to be used in the future. We would like to do this with other restaurants and other businesses in the future. Um, and so I just wanted to share that with you. I just could not have been more proud of our church and, uh, and to, to be able to participate in that. So continue praying that those gift cards would be used of God to build bridges into our community to, to where we could share the gospel with people who, who, uh, who have not yet believed in the greatest news in the universe, which is the gospel. So I wanted to share that with you. If you're in your living room or your bedroom or wherever outside watching this live stream, I'd like to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, not the entire chapter, but beginning with verse 14 uh, all the way through verse 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no, long, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law with oh, sorry. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. I lift up uh, my brothers and sisters uh, all over Cheyenne, some who are watching the live stream from different states. God, I pray that you will speak uh, to our hearts for the worship team that's gathered in this building. Speak to all of our hearts. Uh, help us to see your grace, your mercy, the beauty and majesty of, of the gospel, the, the splendor of our Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to see all of that, and that by the end of this time together, that all of our hearts will be encouraged. For those who are watching the live stream, who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what does it really mean to follow him, God, I pray that today would be helpful uh, for, for those individuals. Uh, guide us and, and, and speak to our hearts through your word during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there is, uh, this is a complicated passage, I'm not going to lie. 
Uh, there, are, there are two main views of Romans chapter 7. And so what I want to do is, I just right off the bat, I just want to share what that is. I'm not going to expound on it. I'm not going to unpack those two different views. I'm just going to say what they are and where I've landed. And then my hope is that through our time together, I struggle with and what does it mean to have received the gospel. So uh, there are two main views uh, regarding Romans chapter 7 in relation to who Paul is writing to. That's the big controversy. There, there are some uh, God-fearing, gospel-loving uh, followers of Jesus who really are convinced that Paul is writing about his past experiences. Like this is pre-conversion Paul. You know, this is what Paul was before he became a Christian, and we see that unpacked in Romans chapter 7. That's one view. The other view is that Paul is reflecting on his past as one who, who tried to gain his own righteousness as a uh, person who followed the law and was unable to do that, came to faith in Jesus, and as a result, still wrestles with and still struggles with this tension that we all experience with, with sin. That's the side that I've landed on. I, I think the majority of people kind of land on that, and, and here's why. What Paul writes in verses 14 through verse 25 uh, jives with, with like my life. Like That's my experience. When I read verses 14 through verses, verses 25, the first few believe... Um, there are some who, who you know, with the first view, believe, who believe that Paul is talking about his pre-conversion experience. There are some who think that you can gain mastery over or complete 100% victory over your sin. And that's just not the case. The Bible speaks against that. Uh, we'll look at a passage in a little bit that says, you know, we all struggle with sin as followers of Jesus. What I find encouraging about this passage is that even the Apostle Paul struggled, as a Christian, struggled with sin. He, he wrestled with it. He did battle with it. Just like you have experienced, I'm sure, this week, just as I've experienced this week. Um, and so that's why I side with the second view of Romans chapter 7, that, that Paul is writing about his current experiences as a Christian, that he's just, why, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And why, don't I do, why can't I do the things, or why will I not do the things that, that I know I ought to be doing? And so that's the tension. Uh, and we see it all over the Bible. Like even Peter, if you think about Peter, if you, if, you, if you read Galatians, Paul said that he had to confront Peter after Peter had embraced the gospel, became a follower of Jesus, Paul had to uh, confront Peter about some pride issues and about, about uh, ostracizing Gentiles and embracing uh, Hebrew Christians. So, so we see this in the Bible. Uh, Mark and uh, Acts, I forget what chapter, but Barnabas and Paul had a, an argument over this guy by the name of Mark, and uh, they parted ways. They said, you know what, this isn't working. Like Mark abandoned uh, them early on in their ministry, and then Barnabas, who was known for being a guy all about encouragement and giving second chances to people, said, hey, let's bring Mark back on board. And Paul said, no way. And they had a disagreement, and they parted ways. 
So Romans chapter 7, I think, man, it explain, it, 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 for me, it explains why I still wrestle with sin. In John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, seems to support why Romans 7 is speaking about Paul's current Christian experience. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So I don't know about you, but man, when it comes to following Jesus and this pursuit of holiness, because that's the Bible tells us as Christians, it commands us to pursue holiness. In First Peter it says, "Be holy, for I am holy," declares the Lord. That that's that's the pursuit. And uh, I got to be honest with you, it feels like a waltz to me. Does it feel like that to you? Like you know, two steps forward, a couple steps to the right, uh, a step back. Another couple steps to the left, maybe a step forward, maybe two. I mean, it's, it's, it feels like a waltz. It does not feel like a sprint. And, uh, and that's why I, I think Romans chapter 7 is placed exactly where it's placed. You know, we talked last week about Romans chapter 6. And I mentioned to you that, that the power of sin has been destroyed by the power of the cross of Christ, Right? But I also said that sin still has its lingering effects in our lives. We all can attest to that. I wish I could say that my sermon points were original. They're not. I'm haunted in a good way by a statement that John Newton had made about himself. And it's just it's in my mind constantly as I think about my own life. Where John Newton said later in his life, I am a great sinner but Christ is a great Savior. And those are my two points, that I am a great sinner. Paul understood that he was a great sinner. The law that Paul is speaking about in these verses is, is what is known as the Mosaic Law. It's the law that God uh, mediated, gave through Moses to the Hebrew people. And uh, it exposes us for who we are, and it shows us the character and nature of God, that he is holy and he is perfect. And uh, in verse 4 or 14, Paul begins by stating that the law is not bad. He says, but it's spiritual. He says, it's not bad, it's spiritual. So this whole chapter is not about the evils of the law. He says, it's not evil, it's good. It's good. And not only does he say that it's good, but in verse 16, or not only does he say it's spiritual, he says it's good in verse 16, but also in verse 22, he says that it's something to delight in. Uh, and we see this throughout the Bible in Psalm chapter 1, the first two verses. If you'd like, you can read along with me. And it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's, that's what the psalmist says about the law. So it's not evil, and it's not bad, it's good. In fact, you'll recall what Jesus said about the law. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them, to fulfill the law. And what we learn from the Bible is that we, when it comes to measuring up, you know, I talked about this last week, when it comes to measuring up, we fall so short. We fall so short. We're measuring up to God's standard. In fact, what we learn from the Bible is that the human heart is, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, deceitful. It's deceitful, and it's, and it's, and it's sick. And who can understand it? You know, like COVID-19, in our generation, in our world, and generations before us, and I'm sure generations that will come after us, uh, with COVID-19, they say you don't know that you have it for the first, I don't know, week to two weeks. People who, who, who were all guilty of sin, we all have this sin problem, but most people are just not aware of it, they, or they don't acknowledge it. They know that something's wrong, but they can't, can't quite put their finger on it for those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They know that there's something jacked up with this world, um, but not sure how to make sense of it. You know, the, the problem is that most people think that they're okay. And Paul says, you know what? The purpose of the law is to show us that we're not okay. We're not okay. 75% of Americans believe that when a person is born, they are neither good nor evil, that they alone choose to be good or evil. More than half of adults believe that if a person is genuinely good or does enough good things for others in their lifetime, they'll earn a place in heaven. And what Paul's saying here is that he tried that. He tried it, and it didn't work. He, he, if anybody was uh, religious in a, in, a, in a good way, Paul said that he, he was the man. He did, he did everything uh, that people would think was right. He read his Bible, he, he obeyed as many laws as he possibly could obey, but over and over again he realized that he just fell short. And the Mosaic Law, the law, serves to show people that no matter how hard you try to live a good life, you'll still fall short. And if that's the way we're going to try to get to heaven, what Paul wants us to know is that there, there are no participation trophies in heaven. Like, you know, I tried, I didn't make it, but I'm going to get in anyway. In fact, Jesus said in his sermon, his, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And then Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Again, Jesus said in that same sermon, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is why Paul concludes in verse 18. He says, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. That's, that's what's wrong with me. That's what's wrong with the world. If you go back to verse 14, he says in, in verse 14, he says, the law is spiritual, but what? I am of the flesh, sold under sin. In verse 24, he describes himself, describes himself as wretched. And in verse 25, he describes himself as being a slave to the law of sin. You know, like I said last week, the point of one of the things that, that, that we should glean from Romans chapter 6 is that although the power of sin has been abolished, has been destroyed by the cross of Christ, its lingering effects are still something we struggle with. Like we still struggle with like anger. We still wrestle with anger. We still uh, wrestle with and struggle against lust. We still wrestle with and struggle against covetousness. And, and the list goes on and on. For some of you, it's, it's different. Maybe it's gluttony. For others, maybe it's something entirely different. But the reality is, is that we all experience the lingering effects of sin. We need, we need another power that is not our own to have victory over it. So what's the point of the law? It's to show us who we are and why we need Jesus. In verse 20, Paul says, he observes, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It dwells in me. And the point is to show that not only are we uh, not good enough, but that we're not good at all. We need somebody who is good enough. And that's, that's why Paul says what he says in those very, uh, the, the last two verses of chapter 7. You know, wretched man that I am, who, who, will, who will liberate me from this body of death? And then he says, well, I know who, Jesus. Jesus will do that. He is the one I need. The law shows me that I am powerless to earn or generate the kind of righteousness that God requires. And what I need is an alien righteousness that is not my own, but one that belongs to another who is good enough. And that leads me to the second point. And that is, Christ is a great Savior. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Paul even described himself as the chief of sinners uh, in another epistle that he wrote. You know, in an age where children are told and adults are told that you can be whatever you set your mind to be, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, um, the law shows us you just can't do it when it comes to being or generating the kind of righteousness God requires. You know, I, I think of it this way. I may dream of riding, because I love cycling, so I may dream of riding the Tour de France. I may dream of winning the Tour de France, but the reality is, is if I participate in the Tour de France, I'm probably going to hurt myself. Um, and if I, if I finish, um, then great. But that probably won't happen either. Or there's a lot of talk about Mike Tyson. You know, so you have some boxers talking about, you know, would they have been able to beat Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's prime? And all but one said, uh, no, there's no way. No, you know, Mike Tyson was just a fearsome, fearsome guy. In fact, there's talk about Mike Tyson entering back into boxing again uh, at 52 years of age. And, and so I may have dreams of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Iron Mike Tyson. 45 years old, I'm younger than him, against a 52-year-old. Do you know what's going to happen? I will get hurt, and I may even die, right? Um, <laughs> 
the Apostle Paul comes to terms with the reality that attempting to generate enough righteousness on his own will not only result in the injury to his pride, but condemnation to his soul. That's the point of the law. He goes on to say, you know, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive. Deliver me from this body of death. There's only one who can do that. And that's why he, you know, it's almost as if he just throws up his hands in the air and's like, I give up. <laughs> or screams, Uncle, I can't do it. But he says, There is an answer. And that's the whole point of Romans chapter 1 through chapter 6. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Um, think about COVID-19. It has literally paralyzed the world. I, my mind has been consumed with COVID-19, as has yours been. I, I wish it wasn't. I, like, I, I'm tired of thinking about COVID-19. Uh, and some of you may be tired of thinking about it as well. I was doing a little research, and I'm not a scientist. Uh, I, I did not get AIDS in science, but uh, I am fascinated by it. Did you know the virus is, a, is an impressive 1.25 nanometer sphere? Now, I don't even know what a nanometer is um, until I looked it up. So apparently that is one billionth the size of a yardstick, like it's small, one billionth of a, smaller than a yardstick, if that makes any sense. But yet, think about what it has done. It has, in that little, only paralyzed nations, but in that little virus microbe, or whatever you call that thing, it has had more cataclysmic power than the tsunami that hit in 2004. It's a hundred times, maybe even more than a hundred times destructive than the impact we suffered from 9-11. I mean, think about it. One person wrote of the virus, our age has taken the narcotic that a global economy prohibits a nuclear war. Postmodern culture has changed life and technology can uh, and technology can find information about tiny lizards in 10 seconds, yet this day you find yourself closer to the Great Plague of 1665 and of the Spanish flu of 1918 than the promised world of flying taxis and a colony on Mars. And if, you're, if, if this encourages you at all, I did some research on how the church responded in, uh, in 1918 during the Spanish flu. Pretty much the same way the church is responding now. Some pastors are being idiots. Um, most pastors are using wisdom. Uh, and, and, and some people are, you know, were super paranoid uh, about doing anything. Some were not paranoid enough, not, not fearful enough, and there was a whole bunch in the middle. Pretty much the same we're responding now. Uh, just over 100 years ago. And uh, the problem... COVID-19 is serious. You know, over 60,000 people have died with deaths attributed to COVID-19 in our country alone. But yet there's a more severe problem caused by the human condition that Paul was frustrated about, and it's in Romans 7. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man, who that I am, who, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Jesus can do that. You know, I mean, we are, that's why we are the cause of most of the world's suffering. Now, we're the cause of wars, we're the cause of, of uh, the shortage of food, supply of food in the world, um, starvation, slavery. There's 40 million people forced, uh, that have been forced laborers, you know, whether it's sex trafficking or, 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 or something else. We're the cause of that. And, and if COVID-19 teaches us anything, and it should teach us that we have a problem. And it's not just physical, it's spiritual. And Jesus is the remedy to our spiritual problem. I like the way the NIV sums up this passage in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And every time we celebrate communion, that's, we're reminded of, of, of the gospel. We're reminded of, of the power of the gospel in our lives. That, that I need a righteousness that is not my own. Jesus went to the cross to, prov- to provide me and to provide you with that righteousness. That all who believe in him, by faith, faith alone, in Christ alone, will be saved. That God will do something in your life. And that something is he'll begin to change the desires of your heart. That's why when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're a Christian watching this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, do do you know what happened? God gave you a new heart, the Bible says, a spiritual new heart. The heart is the seat of the emotions, right? And so he gave you, started giving you new desires. And as you started following Jesus as a result of believing in him, in him do you know what began to happen? You started to uh, become fed up with some of the sins in your life. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. You know, there were some things that, that immediately I knew were, were wrong after I became a Christian, and I had no desire to do those things anymore. Like one of the things for me, and it's different for everybody, but one of the things for me that immediately became, I mean, was an issue before I became a Christian, and immediately God liberated me from, was a, my filthy mouth. I just, I just had the filthiest mouth as a teenager. And as a result of coming to faith in Jesus, I had no desire to speak that way anymore. And immediately, it was an overnight thing. But there were some things in my life that were not overnight. They felt like that waltz I described you uh, described earlier on in, in this message. You know, um, there were things that, uh, that I've been since liberated from, sins that I struggled with, but it took years and there are some sins in my life that I still, I still am wrestling with. And the same is true for you. And it is true for me. You know, somebody described the Christian life this way. And I, it was a helpful illustration for me. Um, the longer you follow Jesus, the closer you come to him and your relationship with him. As you, as you, you know, read the Bible and you get to know who God is in the scriptures and, and you get to know the, the God of the scriptures, do you know what begins to happen? You begin to see more of your sin. 
It's not, that, it's not that you become a worse person. It's just that you begin to see more of yourself in a true sense. It's kind of like the light in your living room. Uh, last night, you probably had your, your, uh, some of your lamps, some of your lights on in your, in your house. And today, if, if you have a lamp that is still on, maybe you forgot to turn it off, it's not as bright as it was last night. But I guarantee you, if you take that light, that, that light bulb, if you're able to, if you're able to take that light bulb while it's lit outside and hold it in front of the sun, do you know what that light bulb's going to look like as you hold it closer to the sun? Dark. Um, as we uh, follow Jesus, we will see more of our sin and we will become more appalled by it. That's why, uh, I don't know if it was a Puritan or something I read, Somebody said this, you know, I praise God, I thank God that I am not what I once was. And I praise God that I am not yet what I will become one day. You know, it's called sanctification. And, uh, and Jesus said, uh, shortly after he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, on his way to pray in the garden, he said to his disciples, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me, that is, takes, takes up residence in me, uh, makes my thoughts your thoughts, may, takes, takes my word and applies them to, to, to your life, uh, you will begin to bear fruit. But as you do that, you're going to see yourself m- more realistically than you've ever seen yourself before. Communion reminds us of that. And that's why 1 John, uh, the guy, 1 John you know, read, read all of 1 John sometime, but those verses that I read earlier on, that's why John wrote what he wrote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What Jesus did on the cross is that he did what was impossible for us to do. He died in our place for our sins so that we could receive a righteousness not our own. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you that sin no longer has the power that it once had on all of us who have placed our faith and trust in your son. But for those who may be watching who have not placed their faith and trust in your son, the power of sin is still a reality in their lives. God, I pray, I pray that right now, that if there's someone watching that is, who has not yet placed their faith and trust in you, that they will before the end of, uh, of this final song, that they will uh, hear these words from your holy word, that all who confess Jesus as Lord with their mouth will be saved, and all who believe in their hearts that you, God, raised them from the grave will be saved. They will hear these words, that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus, that all who call upon him in faith and trust will be saved. For any person that is watching, God, I pray that they will talk to you before the end of this final song. And for the rest of us, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us from this body of sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. 
For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.